well, we're going to continue this morning. We've been looking during Lent, and we're going to for the next two weeks as well. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke. We've called this series the Gospel of the Nobodies because what we've recognized is that Luke makes it very, very clear. He makes it very, very clear that God has a heart for the nobodies, right? God has a heart, and Luke, more than any other gospel, Jesus is constantly spending time with the outcasts, with the unimportant people, <clears throat> excuse me, with the crooked IRS agents, with the, with the sinners, with the tax collectors, with all of those folks who nobody else has time for. Jesus has time for the nobodies, and in fact, we've seen time and time again that the somebodies struggle with Jesus. Sometimes being somebody allows us to think that we don't really need Jesus quite as much. And so the Gospel of Luke is focusing on the nobodies. And last week on Easter uh, Sunday morning, we looked at what happened on Easter Sunday morning. When the, when the women went to the tomb, Mary and the others, they went to the tomb and, and they found it empty. And an angel said to them, he has risen. And we said that the, the worst day is never the last day, all right? The worst thing is never the last thing, that there is hope, that Jesus Christ is alive, all right? And, and we looked at that and what happened on Easter Sunday morning. The women went back and they told the disciples, and, and Peter ran to the tomb and found that it was empty, but he didn't see the angels and he didn't see Jesus, but he, he went back and, and, and they were there. The next story that Luke tells us is the one I want to look at this morning with you, and, and it's a story of what happened on Easter Sunday afternoon, okay? It, it's what happened on Easter Sunday afternoon. All right, the women have come back, they've made their report, and the question is, what do we do now? What do we do now? Do we believe the women? The tomb is empty. Where do we go? And it was a problem for the, a, a challenge, a, a question for the disciples, but it was also a question for, for all the disciples. There was more than just the 12 there. There was a whole group of folks who had been followers of Jesus Christ, who had been doing what he called them to do, who had been living the way he called them to live. And, and, and they all had to ask themselves, what now? And, and so Luke tells us about two of them. This is a great story. Luke tells us about two of them, a guy by the name of Cleopas and his friend. All right? They're not one of the 12 disciples, but they've been following Jesus for quite some time already. They didn't just show up the last week and kind of catch up with Jesus. They were the, you get the idea from what they know that, that they've been following Jesus for some time. Uh, they, they know they know that Jesus is a great prophet. They knew, they say in their own words, that Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. They'd follow him enough to say that his words were amazing, all right? They'd heard him preach. They'd heard him teach. And they knew that his words were powerful. They'd seen miracles. They knew that his deeds were powerful. And, 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 and so they, 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 they had put their faith in him. They, they, they trusted him. They, they say this, we had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel, all right? So they're that kind of level of disciple. They, they, they knew about Jesus. They'd followed Jesus. They probably spent months, if not several years of their lives, just walking around, listening to Jesus, hearing what he has to say, learning what he has to say, and saying, you know what? This is the one. He's going to redeem Israel. He's going to, that word means set us free, all right? Most probably the first thing they think about is being set free from the Romans, that Jesus is going to do that. He's going to throw off the Romans who are occupying their territory. Jesus is going to set them free. Maybe also a little bit set them free from some of the corruption in the priesthood. Not all the priests were corrupt, but a number of them were very corrupt. And so they had this idea that Jesus was the one. And so they, they were followers of Jesus, and they were so excited. If you think about Easter Sunday afternoon for them, the previous week had been an emotional roller coaster. Right? I mean, just imagine what they had gone through in the, in the last seven days. 
uh, starting off with Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, but, 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 but riding in like a king and, and people responding. I mean, can you imagine if you've been with Jesus for a, a year, you've been following around, you believe in him, you think he's the one, and now he comes into Jerusalem and all the kids are waving palm branches and everybody's saying, Hosanna, save us, and they're putting coats down in front of Jesus and, and, and it's all saying, okay, this is the time. He's the king, he's the Messiah, and it's all going to start right now. And so they're like, yeah, we were, the early t- we were the early adopters, right? We were the ones who grabbed on early, but now everybody else is seeing it, and they had that great joy. And, and, and then either that evening or the next, when Jesus cleanses the temple, again, it was a little bit scary, I would imagine, for Jesus to take on the religious establishment like that. But for Jesus to go in and say, no, man, we're, we're changing things. And, and he threw over the tables and it was like, all right, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the beginning of the end. This is, this is where it's going to start. We are going to be free. We are going to be redeemed. But then came the threats to the life of Jesus. The word that there was a contract out on him. And then on Thursday night, the arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion. And then ultimately his death and burial. And, and again, that... that Saturday, or that Friday, rather, when he was buried, the, the pain and, and the hurt and the loss of that. Saturday is the Sabbath. They rested. And now it's Sunday morning. And again, the question is, what now? The women have come back. They reported that, that, that the tomb was empty. They reported that they, that they, they, they had heard from an angel. They had seen an angel. They, they said that the angel said he has risen, and the women obviously believed it, but the disciples, the men didn't. And, and, and so what do you do at that point? I mean, you've given a year of your life to follow this guy. And, and he came to the climax. He had everybody in his hand in that triumphal entry, and then he gets killed. And Cleopas... And his friend, we don't know his friend's name, but Cleopas and his friend decide it's time to go home. All right, it's just time. They were tired. They were discouraged. They had been through so much, and they had felt so much that this was the one. They had dared to believe that everything could be different. They had dared to believe. But in the end, the Romans win. In the end, nothing really changes. It's all the same. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. And so they make their decision. And their decision, in some ways, we can be disappointed in it. They decide to go home. I can hear them talking to each other on the way home, you know? One of them saying to the other, we should have known better. My dad taught me. I taught all my kids. (laughs) If something looks too good to be true, you know the rest, right? It probably is. Cleo, why did we fall for it? Why do we let ourselves believe? It's better, it's better if we just had not done anything. And so, and so they leave Jerusalem. They're going to go back to Emmaus. It's about seven miles, about a two-and-a-half-hour walk away from Emmaus, or away from Jerusalem to get to Emmaus. Again, they're tired, they're discouraged, and basically they just quit. Basically they just said, I'm done. I, I don't know if you've ever been there. 
I don't know if you've ever been to that place. Maybe not all the way to where you want to quit, but if you've ever been to that place where you're just tired, where you're discouraged. I I think most of us, if we follow Christ for any amount of time, we get to that place, right? I I mean, we've been praying about something. We've been praying, God, heal my parents, heal my child, heal my my spouse. We have prayed and prayed and prayed, and we've really dared to believe that God was going to do something, and then he didn't. And it just gets so discouraging. Or we poured our hearts into our kids that they could not come to know Christ, that they could, they could become followers of Jesus Christ, but they're walking away from the church. It's like, why do we try so hard? Sometimes you just get tired. Sometimes you just, the brokenness of this world, the terrorism in this world, all that's wrong in this world, there are just times when we say, does it really make any difference? I mean, is God really alive? Is God really care? Does it really matter at all? I mean, again, the classic line from Mother Teresa, you know, she used to pray, she said, and say, God, you know, if you treated your friends better, you'd have more of them. Right? I mean, come on, God, why don't you, you know. God's people sometimes face lots of struggles, lots of difficulties, lots of challenges. And and maybe you've come into that place where you're just ready to give up, where you're ready to walk away. You're ready to say, you know what, I'm just done. I don't know if God does exist or doesn't exist but I'm going to get off the roller coaster. I'm going to get off the ride. That's where Cleopas and his friends were. Okay, they were there. If you've ever been there, if you've ever been tired, if you've ever been discouraged, if you've ever been just wondering if it's time to quit, then this story is for you. And this story is full of great news. And I want to just give it to you right up front and then, and then play it out in the story. But the good news for us this morning is this. All right, here, here's what this whole sermon is about. It's, it's this truth that Jesus doesn't give up on us. Jesus doesn't give up on us even when we have given up on him. Jesus doesn't give up on us even when we have given up on him. That's what Cleopas and his friend had done, right? They'd given up on Jesus. They'd said, you know, we've had enough. We've gone far enough. We've done enough. We've tried enough. We've done everything. We're just going to quit right now. We're just going to walk away. And, and, and here's the deal. I, I mean, Jesus has every right. Think of yourself in, in terms of Jesus. And I think that he would experience this, okay? But we don't often think of Jesus in this situation. But Jesus has every right to just give up on them. Right? I mean, you look at it, you think of it. i got to believe that there were times after Jesus rose from the dead that he was like, Are you serious? Are you serious? Do you really not get it yet? I mean, just think of what Jesus is, is, has done already. I mean, the entire you know, Old Testament has, has pointed to all that has happened. It's predicted this about his death, about his raising, rising from the dead. The entire Old Testament predicted it. Jesus has done miracles. And these guys have seen Jesus do miracles. They probably had seen him raise a little girl from the dead. I mean, Jesus has done all these miracles, and he dies, and they're like, oh, we're done. And Jesus has every right. I mean, he's done miracles. He's told them. We looked last week how the angel said, don't you remember what he said? Don't you remember what he said? Jesus preached it to them time and time again. Betrayal, crucifixion, resurrection. That's what's going to happen, okay? Betrayal, crucifixion, resurrection. And nobody gets it through their thick skulls. The tomb is empty. They know that. They've got confirmation of that. Jesus has sent angels to tell the women. And I think, in a sense, Jesus has every right. I mean, I, I think it's, this is why it's good I'm not God, right? Because if I'm Jesus... And I'm in that situation, and Cleopas and his friends start walking away. You know what I'm going to say? You want to leave, go right ahead. If you can't believe in me after all that I've done, just leave. 
You want to leave? Just go right ahead. I've had enough. But here's the gospel. Jesus doesn't. When, when we get to those places where we think we have every reason to walk away from Jesus, where we think we have every reason to say, I'm done with you, I'm tired of you, God, why don't you do something more? God has every right to just say, Ron, I'm done with you. You guys want to go, you guys think that you want to make it on your own, then go ahead. But the wonderful thing is that's not what Jesus says. It's what I might say, it's what I might do, but it's not what Jesus does, Right? Jesus doesn't give up on them, and he doesn't give up on us. And he does three things. He does three things to us as we walk away from him. He is, as one person put it, the hound of heaven who keeps coming after us. The first thing Jesus does for them, and I think he does it for us as well, is that even in our doubts, Jesus just shows up. He shows up. Let's go to Luke, all right? 24, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, all right, so Easter Sunday, we're in the afternoon, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, two of them being two of the disciples, not the apostles, not the twelve, but two of the disciples. They were going back home to Emmaus. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, about how they had believed, about the joys, about the ups, about the downs, and about how we should have known if it looked too good to be true. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So they're walking along, talking about Jesus. And I can imagine them saying, if we could just see him, if we could just know. And he shows up, but they still don't see him. It's interesting phrasing, at least for me. They were kept from recognizing him. And, and, I, and I wondered about that, and I did my best to check it out. I mean, one of the first thoughts that crosses my mind is, did God keep them from recognizing him? Did God blind them? I don't think that's right. I don't think God did. I, I want to suggest that it was not God who said, oh, no, I'm not going to let you see who this is. I want to suggest that they were, kept from, they were kept from recognizing him, perhaps maybe most by their own discouragement. They couldn't see through their tears. They couldn't see through their brokenness. They couldn't see through their pain. You know how that is, right? Sometimes when life is broken and it's just not going the way we want it to, it just hurts so much, we can't even see what's going on around us. Jesus is right there with them. Jesus is the one who they're looking for, and he's right with them, and, and, and they can't see him. Maybe it's their discouragement. Maybe it's their expectations, I mean, maybe they had an expectation that if Jesus was going to show up, he'd show up big, right? If he rose from the dead, again, he's going to come back, and he is going to be on a white horse, and he's going to make everything big. And maybe they were expecting something that wasn't what Jesus came back as. And maybe that's our problem. Oh, no, if if, if God shows up in my life, I'm going to know it because everything's going to be perfect. If God shows up in my life, I'm going to know it because this is what's going to happen. God shows up in their life, and they don't recognize him. In some ways, because he's so normal. In some ways, because... He's just so common. Maybe it was their own expectations. Maybe it was just the new body of Jesus, huh? Right? Mary didn't recognize him when she saw him earlier in the day. And and, and so they don't recognize him. I don't think God closed their eyes. I think they had their own eyes closed, just like you and I. Jesus is there, and he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, this is how we know Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one? 
and get the tone of the question. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Hello, and, and again, think about this. You know what this question really is? Of Jesus, are you slow? Are you a moron? Really? Are you so slow? Did you miss everything? How can you be the only person in the entire city? And, and again, you want to see, I'm, I get this why I'm not Jesus. Because I would have been like, dude, you call me slow, they're gone. Right? I mean, they really, they really call Jesus slow here. They're the ones who are slow, but they call Jesus slow. And, and he doesn't say goodbye, right? <laughs> Even when we give up on God, he doesn't give up on us. Jesus says, what things, he asked. And, and then they, they pour out the story about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more? What is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In a sense, they're quoting the, Jesus saying, third day. And... and, and in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. <sighs> what do we do with that? Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And, and again, imagine you're Jesus. And you're walking along and they're saying all this stuff. And, and especially, just think about that last line. That the, they didn't see Jesus. Oh, Really? They didn't see Jesus. And he's just kind of going, hello, you're looking at him, right? They didn't see, well, did you see Jesus? Oh, no, we haven't seen Jesus. Oh, no, no, you haven't seen Jesus? No, we haven't seen Jesus. But he's right there. Jesus shows up. And, and, and he does so in grace, not necessarily in, in some amazing big way. I think sometimes the reason that I miss seeing Jesus in my life today is I'm looking for something that's too big. You know, one of the things we do in a church, <laughs> one of the things we do in a church is we have people give testimonies, right? Well, we pick people who have amazing stories. We have people who are going down the road to hell and then get turned around and they come back to Jesus and it's so amazing. But you know what? For 99% of us, that's not the way it worked. For most of us, Jesus was there and parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And, and he was there through the, the church and teachers and others. And he just drawed us to him. Sometimes, again, we, we like big bangs and, and ex- big things. And, and so we tell these stories that are amazing, but that's not the normal story. God most often comes to us in ways that are pretty common. God comes to me through you, through your words, through your lives. God comes to us through parents, through children. Jesus shows up, not necessarily in some big way, and he listens and he cares. He's just so full of grace. Uh, again, I, I think you've got to understand, there had to be a part of him that wanted to be like, how slow are you? But he doesn't say that. He just, in grace, cares. And, and I wonder just how often I've missed when Jesus has been there. How often I've missed it. Jesus shows up, all right? He's there, but that's not enough. They miss him. Again, he could just say, I'm done with you, but he doesn't. So the next thing Jesus does for them, and I think often for us, is Jesus speaks up. He speaks up in his word. He does chide them a little bit, okay? He chides them a little bit. He said to them, 
You know how foolish you are. Come on. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Uh, again, the, the, the image that comes to mind for me is, is that Jesus here is like a mom or dad with a, with a five-year-old or whatever. Say, can't you know that you can trust me by now? I, I mean, when our five-year-old is saying, you're unfair, you didn't pick me. I mean, you, 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 you want to say, come on, you, you don't really know how here. And that's what Jesus is saying. You guys are so slow. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So again, if it's about two and a half hours, think about this. It's about two and a half hours from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Jesus joins them fairly early on. This is probably a two-hour Bible study with Jesus. And if you can imagine anything, that's amazing. I would absolutely love to have been there for this Bible study, right? Such an amazing Bible study that Jesus is there, and he's teaching them, and he's pointing to them, and he's saying, you know what, this is what's going on here. This is what's going on here. This is what's going on here. And he teaches something about how to do Bible study here, okay? Think about this, because it's really important for us about how to do Bible study and about how to preach and about how to, how to read Scripture because what, what Jesus does is this. This is what Luke said. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What does that mean? I think what that means is Jesus wants us to recognize that the Bible is about him. The Bible is about him. It's primarily about Jesus. It's about the Father. It's about the Holy Spirit. The Bible, and this is where we get in trouble sometimes, the Bible is not a book of just moral lessons. There are morals in the Bible. But it is not primarily teaching us morals. There are inspirational stories in the Bible. But one of the problems is we go to the Bible and say, I want to be inspired. I want to have a moral told to me. I want to have an example to follow. And what the Bible is saying, no, you need more than that. You need your life just taken over by Christ. And I think we miss Jesus because too often when we read Scripture, we read it and we look at the human characters and say, that's what the story is about. The story is never about the human characters. Yes, they are important. Yes, they teach us some things. But the, ultimately, the story, the scriptures are all about Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples of where we get that wrong a little bit. Some of us will remember the story Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel is in Babylon. King Darius said, you've got to pray to me, or I'm going to throw you in the lion's den. And even though he loved Daniel, Daniel wouldn't pray to him. He prayed to the true God, to Yahweh. And so Darius said, okay, I've got to throw you in the lion's den. And so Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den, but the lions don't eat him. But then those who set Daniel up, they get thrown in and they get eaten. What song comes to your mind? For me, the song that I learned, and maybe we still teach it to kids, and it's not horrible, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose true. Dare to make it known. It's about Daniel standing strong. It's about Daniel being faithful. And you've got to be more like Daniel you have got to be more like Daniel. You don't have enough faith. You haven't stood up enough. You've got to go to your employer and say, I love Jesus. You've got to put more bumper stickers on your car. And you've got to do this and you've got to do that. That's not what the story's about. It's not about Daniel. It's about God keeping Daniel safe. It's about God protecting Daniel. It's about God taking care of Daniel. It is about God, not Daniel. And when we turn the story into, into dare to be a Daniel, of course we miss God. We miss Jesus because we just turned it into a little moral lesson, David and Goliath, right? Right, I mean, David is there, the giant is there, only a boy named David, only a little sling, right? 
only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. You don't pray and sing enough. That's your problem. When you face giants in your life, you've got to be more like David. When you face giants in your life, you've got to pick up five smooth stones. If your parents and your kids are walking away from the Lord, let me give you five smooth stones. You'd love that, wouldn't you? I love that kind of a sermon. Unfortunately, it's not the biblical text. It's not what the Bible's about. It's not about saying, if you need to take on a competitor in your workplace, here are five stones, have a good plan, do that. It's not about David. It's not about stones. It's about God. It's about a God who is big enough to defeat all of our enemies. It is about a God who works through the weak, who works through the small. And it's about a God who, who uses David as a picture of what his son, David's son, 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 grand, grand, grandson, Jesus is going to lose to Goliath to ultimately rise from the dead and destroy him. I wonder how often we miss Jesus because we go to scriptures for moral lessons rather than than for lessons about Jesus. Jesus did this two-hour Bible study and said, do you see how the Old Testament is all about me? you see how it points to me? How it points to the failure of you to do anything on your own? I mean, ultimately... Yeah, it's good to be inspired. And yes, I want to be faithful like the heroes of the faith. But ultimately, the story is about a God who is faithful. The story is about a God who is faithful. In, in some ways, I think when it comes to our kids, we don't really... And, and some of it is natural, okay? Let's not push this. I mean, little kids, you've you got to teach them rules and so on. And so we use the Bible for that. But what we've got to make sure we do is teach grace. Teach God's goodness to our kids. To, to, to let them know that whether David fails or not, God is still faithful. That whether Daniel fails or not, God is still faithful. It's about God being faithful, not about us. It's all about what God has done and is doing. That's why I say he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In our Bible studies, in our sermons, watch out. That we don't just kind of say, well, here are five good ideas for your parents, for you as parents, to help your kids come to know Jesus. It's not the main story of the Bible at all. What it's about is how faithful God is in spite of the fact. It's a story about how God keeps coming after us day in and day out, even when we have run away from him. So Jesus shows up and Jesus speaks up in his word. They still don't get it. Two-hour Bible study with Jesus. You can say, I would have gotten it. They don't. They don't. They're closer, but they're still not getting it. Again, at this point, you've got to believe Jesus is tempted to walk away. He has given them all of those other things. Now, he has shown them himself to them, and, 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 and he's given them a Bible study saying, don't you understand? This is what it all talks about. They still don't get it. They still don't see who it is. And so he does one more thing. He serves up. He serves up himself. Luke 24, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Emmaus, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. He's acting as if he's going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. Hospitality. You don't want to be on the road after dark. You need to have dinner. Stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Goes inside. They probably wash. They sit down at the table. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. 
Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. Jesus took bread and gave it to them, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them. He serves up. He serves at the meal. He takes the place. This is not his home, but he takes the place of the host, and he serves up himself. Why does this work? What's happening here? Why does this connect with these two? Again, it's not one formula for all, but there are two possibilities, and I want to suggest both rather than one or the other. The first one is one you've maybe thought about already, and that is communion, that, that Jesus meets us at the table, right? I mean, they probably, if you imagine it again, let's go through the sequence of events. Jesus, uh, on Thursday evening, initiates the Passover, the Lord's Supper, right? He, he, he takes the bread, and he does that with it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friday, that night, he's betrayed. He's arrested, trial, crucifixion all day Friday. Saturday, those disciples were together. And, and, and i got to believe what they were saying is, what happened? For those of you who were there, what happened? And, and they would have shared with those that were around saying, when the Passover, he took this and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And, and so maybe when he broke the bread, they said, oh, that's him. And, and, and part of what Luke might be trying to tell us is that one of the places we meet Jesus is, is in the table. <laughs> when we come to communion, when we experience that, that gift from Jesus, when, when, when we take the bread, when we drink the cup, that we see Jesus there, that he's feeding us himself, that he's giving himself to us. And, and when we come to the communion table, that's why sometimes we think about saying, do we need to do that more often? We do it six, seven times a year. But do we, do need, do we need to do that more? Because the scriptures promise us, Jesus says, I will meet you there. And I will feed you at my table. It could, be, it could be that. That's one possibility. And I think that's part of what's going on here. It, it's reminding us that Jesus gave us a meal that he promised to meet us at. But there's another possibility. And I think if anything, I'd say this is the more likely one. Because I want you to think about it. Okay, picture it. Imagine you're there at the table. And you're reclining. And Jesus takes this bread and he breaks it. And he gives it. What do they see? They see his hands. They see the scars. They see the places where the nails have gone through his hands. When he breaks that bread and gives it to them, and, 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 and he shows them his hands. And, and I think it could well be that what, what we need to understand is that we see Jesus most clearly when we see the scars. We see Jesus most clearly when we see the wounds, when we see the brokenness. We, we see Jesus in, in his brokenness, and we see Jesus in our brokenness. And that flies in the face of what so many people believe and preach today. I mean, you get so many places that'll say, you know, Jesus wants you to be wealthy. And if you want to meet Jesus, you got to do all this stuff. You know, we, we go on cruises to meet Jesus. When Jesus took his disciples to be with him, he took them to the desert. I think more often than not, where we find Jesus is in those valleys. When we realize that he is there with us. When we realize that he's been on a cross. When we realize that he knows more pain than we know. When he knows our pain, when he experienced that. We see Jesus not in the stars, but in the scars. It's a line from George. It's a good one. Not in the stars, but in the scars. And, and, And we need to remember that. Jesus comes to us, and he meets us. He shows up, he speaks up, and then he serves up himself. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and interestingly, he disappeared from their sight. He had places to go, they had places to go. But Jesus disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were our hearts not burning with it? Were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. I would imagine the return trip did not take as long. I would imagine they maybe ran the, the seven miles back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them saying, assembled together and saying, it is true. So this is the, the apostles now and the other disciples. They're saying, it's true. We, we know he's alive. We believe. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two get to t- share their story. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So what do we learn? Let's close this out. What do we learn? I think, again, I want to give you some small lessons. And then the main lesson again. I mean, I think there are some small lessons we can learn. We need to learn to keep our eyes open, right? We need to learn that Jesus is there. We need to learn that and be aware that God often shows up in unexpected ways, sometimes a lot more normal than we think. We need to look for Jesus when we read the Bible, right? Not for moral lessons first, but more than anything else, we need to look for Jesus. We need to look for Jesus when we take communion. We need to look for Jesus in the scars. But, but that's not really the main point. The most important thing you need to know is that God's heart is so in love with you that even when we give up on him, he doesn't give up on us. What you need to know is even when you are foolish and saying, God, I don't need you anymore, he says, I still love you. And he keeps, like that hound of heaven, tracking us down again and again and again. And my friend, there's nothing better than being caught by that God. Let's pray together. Father, we can be so foolish. We think we get things figured out and we think we have every right to be angry and upset and sometimes life really does hurt. We know that and it's just rotten sometimes and it's painful. But we just thank you right now for being a God who doesn't forget us when we forget you, who doesn't give up on us when we give up on you. So Father, teach us to slow down and to let you catch us to receive the amazing gifts that you give us through your word, the gifts that you give us through your table, the gifts that you give us of being present in our pain, the gifts that you give us of showing up through the people around us. God, give us those gifts and open our eyes because we want to see Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. You please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction. Again, following our service, there are going to be some folks in the prayer room there to my right, to your left. If you'd like to talk with somebody, um, they'd be happy to meet with you and to pray with you. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And know that God does not give up on us. Amen.